I'm here today because I'm excited about what we're doing. We're taking people in. We got to worship, and I feel like God has some things he wants to say to us this morning. Uh, We've been in a series this month called Follow. So thank you for being here uh, for this whole series. I'm trusting that you've got something out of it because I've had a good time preaching it. Uh, We've talked about unfollowing people that don't help us look like Jesus. We said be around people that you want to follow. Last week, we said get back up. Come on, when you get knocked down, get back up. That's what we do as disciples. And uh, there is a church word that describes being a follower, it's disciple. And this is the verse that we've kind of been using as a key verse for this series, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And I would like us to read it together this morning. I've read it the last few weeks, but I'd like us to read it together. Can we do that? All right. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Man, that's a good verse, isn't it? That's something that we're supposed to be doing with Jesus. Everybody say all nations. All nations nations means that if we are doing that verse correctly, we won't all look the same in this room. Can, can I hear some agreement on that one? There, in fact, if people who aren't like us, and when I say aren't like us, I'm talking about skin color, their politics, their education, their financial situation. If people who aren't like us don't feel welcome in this place, then we're not doing something right. There, there should be people from all walks of life here if we are following this command of Jesus, the Great Commission, to disciple the nations. Come on, you don't lose your personality when you become a disciple. He may knock some rough edges off of it to get it to fit with everybody else, but you're still you. And part of the beauty of the body of Christ is that people who aren't exactly like us are moving forward together. Come on, it is attractive to the world when they see people together in unity. Because there there are people thinking, I can't even get along with the two other people in my household. And how are you getting a group of all these people from all different walks of life to move forward together united around something? I can't do that. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And it gives him glory when there are people from all walks of life in the space together walking forward in unity. It is attractive. We don't realize it sometimes, but a lot of times in church, it ends up like this picture on the screen. Go ahead and put that up there. Why don't we have any fresh ideas around here? How many of you know we get stuck when we're all the same? If we're all the same, there's never any other viewpoints. There's never a different way of seeing things. And we get stuck sometimes. But the diversity that God wants to bring in this place and in his church, it really does lead to this reality. Discipleship as a group can be messy. Come on, discipleship as an individual can be messy sometimes, can it? But get more people involved in the equation. Discipleship as a group can be messy, but it's worth it. Come on, it is worth it. And it's not an excuse to stay away from God's family. To say, oh, those people, they're so different. They don't see things like me. They offended me. All these different things. Come on, think about this with me. Man being alone in the garden was the only thing that God said, that's not good. Come on, all of creation, everything he made, he looked at it and he said, it's good. But when he saw man alone, he said, that's not good. But as soon as God introduced another person into the equation, sin came into the picture. 
Think about that with me for a second. The tension of the Christian life is he doesn't want us to be alone, but he doesn't want us to walk in sin either. Come on, right? But as soon as you get more than one person in the room, we get tempted to get offended, to argue with each other, to get angry, to get impatient. Come on, we don't even realize how selfish we can be sometimes until there are other people around us. All right, I'm just preaching to myself this morning. I don't even realize how selfish I can be till I get other people around me. Come on, even Jesus dealt with this. Think about it. Mark chapter 10, James and John came up to him and said, Jesus, let one of us sit at your right hand and one sit at your left. What was that? That was being selfish. I want the place of honor. I want, I want everybody to see me following you. Later in, in John 21, Jesus had just told Peter, uh, he indicated what kind of death Peter was going to die. Hey, someday somebody's going to lead you around and take you a place you don't want to go. And Peter, in that moment, he, just hearing how he's going to die someday and the cost of following Jesus, he turns around and sees John and says, what about him? We don't even realize how selfish we can be till we're around other people. And even Jesus, the perfect one, with only 12 guys. Come on. It, it wasn't like a room full of 100 people. He only had 12 people that he was trying to get them to go in the same direction together. And it still had its ups and downs because discipleship with a group is messy. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. There is hope for us. Come on, we, we are no different than those first guys that were following after Jesus. The, the victories we're seeing and the struggles we have, we are following him and being discipled. And last week I said that a mark of a true disciple is getting it wrong sometimes. How many of you were freed up a little bit by that? Like, thank you, Jesus, I don't have to get it perfect every single time. I, w- I want to expand some of those thoughts and hit it a little bit and tell you that there are two main areas where we don't get it right all the time, especially when we're in the context of other people. And one of those areas, sometimes we get things wrong in what we believe. Have you ever, have you ever had to adjust what you believe about God? Man, if, if you haven't, you've probably missed something in the discipleship process. There, there are times that we need to grow and, and see what we believed and adjust it to what the truth of God is. I, I had a friend one time in a church we were in in Virginia, and he had been having struggles in his marriage. And he was, he was thinking, okay, the, the way we handle this is we're going to go see the lawyer and get divorced. And he had set in his mind, this is it, it's over, we have to end it, we're, we don't get along. And he's reading the Bible, and he came across a verse that said, God hates divorce. Come on, this guy, he was a newer Christian, he'd never read that verse in his life, and it changed his world. He went and saw his wife. He says, you know, God, God doesn't want us to do this. How many of you know he adjusted something in his thinking about God? Just from being a disciple, reading the word and saying, God, I want you to teach me. I want to grow to look like you. And they didn't get divorced. They stayed together and had a happy marriage after a lot of work. Come on, it, it didn't happen just like that. But he decided, he had set in his mind, hey, God doesn't want us to do this. This isn't the way. This is how we were raised. This is the example we've seen. All the people around us do it. Hey, let's just end the relationship because it's too hard. But he adjusted something in his beliefs about God because he got discipled. There are things that we grow in and change our beliefs. Here, here's another cartoon I, I saw this week. The lady comes in to see the pastor, and she says, according to my horoscope, 
This is a good week to preach against false doctrines. <laughs> How many of you know we don't get it right all the time? And especially if you're a new believer, there are people that are coming through the door. Hopefully, if we're doing it right, there are people coming through the door as new believers that need to grow. They don't have a perfect theology of God. They don't, they don't even have a great theology of God or a good theology of God. They just know, he touched me. I need to be here in this place and learn about him. That's right. That's right. And we need to grow. I had a pastor friend one time. He said, probably about 10 to 20% of what I believe is wrong. I just don't know what 10 or 20% it is. It's part of why we come together. It's part of why we, we come on Sunday mornings. It's part of why we do classes. That's part of why we do Bible studies together. It's part of why we do small groups. There are things that we need to grow. There, come on, don't get me wrong. There are things we do need to all agree about, but they mostly have to do with who Jesus is, right? He's the son of God, the perfect sinless one. He's the only way to have a relationship with father. Those are the things we need to agree on. But a lot of the rest of the stuff, we can walk together without being seeing them eye to eye. And we need to be open to being adjusted and growing in areas where we get more revelation. Sometimes we miss it in what we believe. And we just need to be, Jesus, I'm following you. Disciple me. So that's one thing that we get it wrong on sometimes is what we believe. The, the other one that I wanted to focus on today, sometimes we get it wrong in how we behave. Does anybody have any regrets about how you've behaved recently? Has, let me ask it this way. Is this a dangerous question to ask in a room full of Christians? Has, has anybody ever sinned since you became a Christian? Some of you raised your hands right away, and some of you looked around like, is this a trick? Is he, is he making a list? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out. Come on. Sometimes we miss it in how we behave. We don't get it right every time. We've, even after we've become a Christian and we're walking with Jesus, I won't ask the question of who's been walking with Jesus more than 20 or 30 years, and you still have missed it. Come on, it happens. Have you ever heard the word hypocrite? Oh, yeah, we've heard that one. It's often used in a derogatory way. Oh, they're such a hypocrite. Anybody ever get that? Or, or they make an ex- people make an excuse why they would never come to church. That church is just full of hypocrites. That's what people say. Uh, the word hypocrite comes from a Greek word that means an actor. So it means you're, you're pretending, you're portraying something that you aren't. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. And we tend to think of hypocrite as any time that our inside doesn't match what's on the outside. That's what we tend to think a lot of times. And then we start beating ourselves up because of it. Has anybody ever heard the word hypocrite and then you just you feel bad all week? Oh, maybe they're right. I'm not really doing what I say that we should do or what I believe. Come on, am, am, am I being honest? Does anybody else relate to that? We start to beat ourselves up, but I want to help you to stop beating yourself up. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not a hypocrite. 
I'm going to make that case here in a second. In case you didn't believe it when you said it, I'm going to make the case for it. Here is a time when Jesus was talking to some Pharisees and some teachers of the law. Come on, the guys who were religious on the outside. They did good deeds. They gave. They, they made long, loud prayers in the sanctuary. And he's talking to these religious guys. In Matthew 15, verse 7, he says, You hypocrites! How would you like to be on the end of that, receiving that from Jesus? Here, I thought I'm doing a great job. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is one of over a dozen times when Jesus used the word hypocrite talking about people. Come on, no wonder they wanted to kill him. Calling them whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers and telling them they weren't following God when they thought they were. He called them hypocrites. Every single time that Jesus used the word hypocrite, he was describing someone who did good looking actions, but they were an unbeliever in their heart. Never once did Jesus use the word hypocrite to describe somebody who believed in their heart but didn't do the right thing. You're not a hypocrite. You're only a hypocrite if you're not a believer and you're trying to look good on the outside. But Jesus never said hypocrite to the people who believed in their heart but didn't get it right all the time. Everyone acts like it's a shock when Christians don't get it right every time. Come on. Who, who knows that the, the people that, that will give you the most opinions about how church people should act are people in the world? Oh, I thought you guys should act like this. Here's a truth that should help free you up. Christians are supernatural people, but we're still humans. Come on, that's, that's who God chose to use. I don't know if I would have done it that way. I don't know if I would have trusted me and us to represent him. But in his great wisdom, it's through the church that he chose for the manifold wisdom of God to be known to the rulers and principalities. Come on, he uses people. If, if I were God, I would just move directly. I would take out big ads, I would move, I would show up in certain places. But he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to use people. And I know that they're not going to get it right every time. Don't sell yourself short. Missing the mark doesn't make you a hypocrite. God looks at your heart. And if your heart says, Jesus, I believe you. I, I know you are who you said you are, and I'm wanting to follow you. That's what he's interested in. He always sees us as way more than we see ourselves. He, he looks at us and says, man, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are sanctified. You're holy. You've been set apart for me. He doesn't see us with all the failures and the flaws and the things that we look at and think, oh, hypocrite. He looks at us and says, that's my son. That's my daughter. They're following me. They're, they're giving it their best shot. I'm, they, they need to lean on me a little more. They, they need to follow the Holy Spirit, whatever he's looking at. But he says, man, they, I believe in you. Because he's put his spirit inside of us. We, we get all, I don't know, we get hung up. We think, oh, well, 
you know, I can't trust what's inside of me. The heart's desperately, deceitfully wicked. Pretty sure in Scripture, God, part of the new covenant is he gave us a new heart. All right, moving right along from that point. First, we, we read a verse a couple weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And we said, do the stuff that I do that looks like Jesus. That's what I want you to follow, not the stuff that doesn't look like him. How many of you know there is a gap between Christ and how I'm following him? For every single one of us. That gap is called grace or mercy, depending on the perspective of how you're looking at it. You can use either one of those words, but that gap is his grace and mercy that fills it in. We need to receive it and we need to give it away to others. Because we are in this together, and we're not going to get it right every time. And discipleship moving forward as a group is going to be messy. Because there are going to be times when, man, your rough edges really ticked me off. I can't believe you said that to me. After all we've walked through, you would say that to me. We're moving forward together. People have always complained about churches. churches. Churches seem perfect when you don't know anybody. There, there's a reason the, the cliche of perfect stranger is a thing, right? Because they seem perfect when you don't know them, when they're strangers. But as soon as you meet people and you start talking to them, you realize, dude, they got the same hang-ups that I have. The, the same issues exist in this church that existed in the one I used to go to. You, we find out that we're moving forward with a group of people that are working through stuff. And especially in today's society, I want to give you some things that people look at churches and they see Christians because they think hypocrite and they see Christians that get swayed by powerful personalities. Hey, you listen to that guy and then you listen to that guy and you're always following somebody else. They, they look at churches and they see people that are sexually active outside of marriage. Can't believe you're there with all those people. They have questionable business practices. Even in the church, they're cheating each other. They end up in broken families. They're swayed by the culture. Oh, your, your church is just, you want to look like the people out there in the world. They don't know how to act in worship. Man, I can't go to that church. They don't even know how to act. Or, or we come to church and they think, oh, we, we doubt the things that they're preaching from the pulpit. Even the resurrection we're not sure about. Every single one of those things I just said was from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.12, we're, we're following and swayed by personalities. The, the church in Corinth said, oh, I follow Paul. No, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Peter. Oh, I'm a Jesus-only guy. Come on, they, they had these hang-ups in the church. We, we said that they were sexually active outside of marriage. 1 Corinthians 5.1, Paul dresses them down and says, hey, even the people that don't know Jesus don't do it the way you're doing it in the church. And you're celebrating it. Come on, 1 Corinthians 6, 8, he said, you cheat and you do wrong to those in the church. 1 Corinthians 7, basically a whole chapter dealing with divorce because it was so rampant in the church and people couldn't work out their relationships together. First Corinthians one twenty two, we talk about being swayed by the culture. They said, oh, we want to do what the Jews want to do. Oh, they, they want signs. Oh, no, we want to do what the Greeks want to do. They want wisdom. Paul says, you're missing the point. It's about Christ and him crucified. First Corinthians 11.21 
talk about not knowing how to act during worship. They were coming to church to celebrate communion, and some of them were getting drunk and eating too much while other people went hungry and didn't have anything. Or you, you can go later in 1 Corinthians and see, oh, they came together for a service and everybody just talked in tongues the whole time and nobody knew what was going on. Come on, they didn't even know how to run their worship service. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, hey, some of you, you doubt that Jesus was raised from the dead. The fact that those problems exist may be that's a sign that we're making progress. That there are people that are wanting to be discipled. Come on, we don't want to stay in those places and continue to do those things. We want to grow. We want to leave those things behind. But those things don't exclude us from the family of God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In spite of all those things, this is how Paul addressed that church when he wrote his letter to them in 1 Corinthians 1-2. And I almost feel like I've got the voice to do this justice today. He says, to the church of God. Those are the good preachers when they make God into more than one syllable. Like how many seconds can to the church of God? Come on. These were the people we just read the list of how screwed up some of them were. And he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He still said to them, we're all part of the same family. No matter what I have to write you about. No matter the places where you're getting it wrong. Those are the places you need to be discipled. But we are still his. We belong to him. And he's working in and through our lives. And then just for good measure, he closed 2 Corinthians with this verse. He says, aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. He didn't close his letter by saying, come on, guys, get it right every time. You see how many times I wrote that you failed and didn't do this. He says, aim for perfection. Yeah. Keep, keep it pointed in the right direction. Come on. Yeah. He says, if you do that and live in peace, God will be with you. Yeah. Here's a truth about discipleship. Followers of Jesus want to do the right thing. Whatever I have said or done to you, please interpret it in the most Christ-like way that it can be taken because that's what's in my heart. I know it doesn't always come out that way, but that's what's in my heart. God's, God's, come on, God's grace isn't a license to sin, but it does wipe out our sin as we continue to aim for the standard. So where does that leave us? It's messy when there's a crowd. How do we navigate it? Well, the first thing is we each work on ourselves. Come on. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control, right? The fruit of the Spirit is not other control, right? Can we just get that straight for a second? I'm, I'm, I'm not here to force you to behave. 
if we all choose to work on ourselves and to be discipled, we're going to do amazing things together. But the problems come as soon as I start to trying to control everybody else's behavior. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Bill, thank you for saying this verse this morning. He didn't even know what I was going to talk about. Colossians 3.12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Everybody say, clothe yourself. There's good advice for you. If you're coming to church on a Sunday morning, wear clothes. Yes. Yes. Please. The dress code here, there isn't a very strict dress code, but clothes are included. <laughs> that word for clothe yourself is the Greek word in duo, and it means to sink down into clothing and to enfold yourself, to wrap yourself in it. And I believe, he says, you're the holy people that God loves. So let's let what's true on the inside begin to enfold us on the outside. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then verse 13, he says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Everybody say, ouch. Like, thank you, Jesus, for putting that in there, I think. Wouldn't that be a great life verse for a church? Like if we want to succeed at being part of a church family, I think that ought to be one of the ones that we write and post it everywhere on our mirror or somewhere where we go. He says, make allowances for each other's faults. Some of those allowances have to be bigger than others. But he didn't make that a prerequisite. He didn't say only if they're small enough to be covered. He says, make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. If you want to do an in-depth study of a Greek word, the word anyone means anyone. I just saved you a bunch of time. There's nobody on that list who is excluded. He didn't say, since you're Christians now, you'll never have any faults or you'll never get offended. He said, make allowances for them and forgive. He's saying, be aware that it's going to happen and deal with it. Disciples work through issues instead of running away. Man, some of us need to hear that. There's, there's people that we, we, we think we get offended. We, come on. We think we have a right to be offended after Jesus went to the cross for being an innocent person. I think Jesus will tell us later what our rights get to be. And being offended isn't on that list. This, this may actually, I don't know, this may actually be the most challenging part of being a Jesus follower, of being a disciple, that we have to surrender our right to be offended and to make allowance for other people's faults. Come on, how many of us go through that rehearsal? Jesus, you don't know what they did to me, though. Huh, that, that wasn't in that verse. It didn't say make allowance unless they've done this. Some, come on, there's some of us in this room, we would rather pick up a literal cross and carry it through the street downtown than have to forgive someone. 
oh, Jesus, we need your spirit to help us do what you've asked us to do. Because I can't pull this off in my own strength. This is why I need him. The relationships where we choose to forgive and to work through them, they will be some of the strongest, most rewarding relationships you ever have in your life. Come on, the people that we walk through fire with, that we choose to forgive them, that we choose to mend fences, there will be a bond there that can't be broken. And it grieves me of how many people choose not to do that. I'll just, I'll run away rather than have to face it and forgive and walk through something. Here's my action item for this week. This is where I want to land. Let someone off the hook this week. Because isn't that, isn't that really what it's about to forgive? Man, I was owed this. I've got my hook in you. You need to, to beg for forgiveness first. Doesn't say that in the verse either. It really, I, I just picture it like that. I, for having a little hook, it's like, Ugh. I'm just going to, I'm going to choose to forgive and let you off the hook. And anything that I could have held on to, I'm going to make an allowance for others' faults and forgive because Jesus forgave me. There might be a relationship you've been avoiding because it's so broken. Maybe God's prompting us to take the first step. Say, hey, I'm, I'm going to choose to walk in forgiveness. Hopefully, I, I will especially say here in God's family, it's a great place to start. If somebody's done or said something that has rubbed you the wrong way and made you think, oh, can't believe they said that. This ought to be a place where it's safe and easier to start forgiving people. I say it ought to be safer because we're in a room full of people that are following Jesus and and we should understand and know how forgiveness works. It may be somebody that you know personally. It may be somebody that you've never met, but every time you see them online or you see them on TV, you get so angry you can't even stand it. be amazed how many people have offended me that I've never even met them in person. (laughs) But if we allow them to govern our response, we put somebody else in the place of Jesus being Lord in our lives. And what Jesus said was, forgive them the same way I've forgiven you. Make allowance for their faults. Let's go ahead and stand together. You you may not understand it or know it right now, but that may be one of the most difficult action items we've ever put on the screen. But our example the one we are following, the one we all say we want to be like him, was hanging on a cross. And he looked at the people who had just beat him and nailed him to that tree. 
And in that moment, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Just that model, that, come on, when Paul says aim for perfection, that's, that's what I think of when I think of perfection in how we forgive others. Jesus was innocent. He had never done a thing that would merit them nailing him to the tree. He didn't deserve that. But even in that moment, he said, forgive them. I don't think we have any leg to stand on for holding a grudge or holding unforgiveness in our heart. God, I ask right now that you would help us to do this well. Help us to be forgivers of other people the same way that you've forgiven us. God, I ask right now where there's, where there's been hurt and pain and grudges that have burrowed in and gotten a foothold in our lives that have put down roots, I just ask that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit right now and start to dig those things out. Lord, we, as we say right here in your presence, we want to follow you. We want to be like you, Jesus. Help us in these things that are hard to forgive others the same way that you've forgiven us. God, I thank you that forgiving someone else is one of the most rewarding things we can do because it frees us up and brings joy to our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the grace to forgive being released in our lives right now. God, I'm even asking for miracles in relationships this week where things have been broken for such a long time that, that we weren't even sure where to start. Lord, I thank you that nothing is impossible for you and that you can mend hearts and fences no matter how long or how badly they've been broken. God, I thank you for family members reuniting. Thank you for loved ones and, and relationships that were destroyed being put back together by your spirit and the power of forgiveness. never let us down and he won't start now (laughs) oh thank you God Lord bless us indeed even as we leave from this place Lord I thank you that uh, even starting right now today with a choice to forgive that there there are weights and burdens that come off our lives that there is a joy that's released in our spirit there is a lightness that comes upon us as we go out from this place Lord let us walk in forgiveness Let us be unoffendable in such a way that it would be a witness and a testimony to the people around us. That people would see your character in nature in us in the way that we act and interact with other people. And Lord, I thank you for the grace and mercy that comes in the moments when we don't get it right. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Our hearts are turned towards you. 
Thank you that when you look at us, you don't see hypocrites. You see your kids that are walking after you the best we can. Stir us with that even this week. We just honor you and we give you glory now in Jesus' name. Amen.